0: King Herod the Great. He was a ruthless leader, King Herod the Great. He he gave himself the title of King of the Jews, and he did indeed fancy himself the greatest. But the truth is that he had attained his position through family connections and wealth, through privilege, the way many rulers throughout history have. And like every insecure, strong man ruler, he was willing to do whatever it took to maintain and expand his power and wealth, including eliminating anyone who threatened it, which infamously included his wife, one of his wives, his mother-in-law, and three of his sons. And that's just the family members. Even heavy-handed Augustus, the emperor of all the Roman Empire, who, who fancied himself the son of God, was taken aback by how jealous and vain and ruthless Herod was, saying, I would rather be Herod's pig than his son. Because, of course, observant Jews don't slaughter pigs. Still, you could say that Herod did accomplish a lot, During his 35 years, nearly 35 years in power, he had increased security in the land through military police. Economically, development and employment reached records high for the area as new cities were founded, harbors were built, trade and commerce flourished. Religiously and culturally, Herod had rebuilt the Jewish temple, which was a massive undertaking. It was a wonder of the ancient world, and its enormous western wall still stands in Jerusalem today. Just the western wall. We're talking blocks that are, like, wider than I am tall, which I know isn't very much, but this wall itself is massive still today. The famous Roman historian from this era, Pliny the Elder, speaks to the transformation of Jerusalem under Herod from a remote podunk, you know, town of little consequence by calling it easily the most outstanding city in the eastern part of the empire. Judea became a vibrant region under King Herod the Great. At least if you were part of the top 2% of the population, because there really was no middle class, the other 98% of the people, whether farmers or the builders, the laborers, were kept near subsistence levels, especially after taxes given that Herod drew a disproportionate amount for the funds of the funds for his revitalization projects came from those 98%. And if this man was willing to kill his own wife and kids for threatening his power, you better believe he wouldn't hesitate to go after Jesus and the innumerable other unnamed children and their families, as Matthew describes, in what's been called the slaughter of the innocents. Now, King Herod's supporters of the day would surely dismiss or or downplay this part of his personality and point, again, to his material accomplishments to defend his, his name and honor. And yet... The Bible only remembers him for the devastating impact that he had on the most vulnerable, among whom was Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. That is what defined Herod as a ruler in the Bible. Now, when Herod hears about the birth of one whom some are calling the king of the Jews... His insecure masculinity can't take it. He will allow allegiance to no one other than himself, not even God, if one's interpretation of God threatens his status. This is King Herod the Great and his world. It's the world into which Jesus is born and under which Mary and Joseph have lived their whole lives. And then along come the Magi. By the way, just to clarify, the Bible never specifies that there were three, that they are kings, nor even that they were men. In fact, the Greek word used for them, Magoi, or Magi, refers to astrologers, as those who look to the skies for signs, which, again, you know, kind of makes sense since they're following a star. Needless to say, they are foreigners, likely Persians from modern-day Iran who practice a different religion, among the first to arrive at the cradle of God. And even more, we might actually question whether they were men, since they were willing to pull over and ask for directions without hesitation, which I don't know about you, but doesn't sound like a whole lot of the men I've known in my life, but I digress, okay. Anyways, the wise women eventually get the directions they need and continue on to find this newborn in the hillsides of Bethlehem, not far from Jerusalem. Shortly after their arrival, Joseph once again has a vision in his sleep that Herod is after his child and they need to go now. Together, the family makes their way through the cover of night, crossing the treacherous terrain of desert mountains and valleys, continuing southwest toward the border, hoping to cross into Egypt without being overcome by either the elements or security forces. This is the world into which God chose to be born. As absurd and backward and upside down as it may seem, this is where our scriptures say this is to whom and the way that God chooses to come into our world and into our lives. The one who goes on to proclaim that the last shall be first and the first shall be last knows what it means to be rendered least and last of all in the world in his own body and life. And I have to imagine that God would choose it still today. But the face of Emmanuel, the God who is always with us, is Rohingya Muslim, is undocumented, is all those being tortured in Afghanistan, Is the women being murdered in Iran? Is the man on death row in Texas? Is the houseless transgender teen kicked out by their Christian parents? Whatever you do or do not do for them, you do or do not do for me, Jesus says in Matthew 25. I am them. As the book of Hebrews in the New Testament puts it, through Jesus, God became like us in every respect, with all its ecstasy and joy and all its risk and tribulation. And so, the author adds, take solace whenever you suffer, knowing that through the body and life of Jesus, God also knows the depths of the fear and uncertainty and pain that you are facing. Take heart. As we settle into this story more deeply, though, this morning I want to shift our focus from this place to the Magi. To these astrologers, these wise ones, and and how they might both inspire and challenge us on our own journeys of seeking God. Now being from another land and, and not knowing any better, the Magi, when they encounter King Herod the Great in Jerusalem, they disclose that they are looking for one who has been revealed to them as the Messiah, the King of the Jews, They've come to pay homage to this great one whose life will alter human history. At this point, Herod might well be thinking that they've come to worship him, until they add, of course, that in a vision, this one was revealed to them as as a newborn. So Herod immediately begins forming a secret plot Intending to use the magi and religion for his own devious ends. And so after consulting his state-approved religious leaders, Herod sends the magi to the nearby hillsides of Bethlehem, telling them to return and report back to them, back to him, once they, they do in fact find this newborn, exactly where he is, so that he too can go and pay him homage. But as we know, Herod is no more interested in worshiping or honoring Jesus than he is in sharing his title of king. But off the Magi go, following that star, until they arrive at the cradle of God, an animal's feeding trough. As they rest that night, they have another vision not to return home by the same route through Jerusalem and Herod, but but to return home by another way. As I sat with the Magi this week, my mind kept wondering what could have possibly possessed them so deeply that they were willing to set out on a distant journey, not knowing where it would lead them, not knowing what that future held, whether it would be worth it, what they would encounter, but to go forward anyways. Trusting that journey. What, what hopes and fears, what longings stirred within them, fueled fueled their seeking, kept them going on that journey? And what is this, this star that they follow? a star that claims them so deeply that they can follow it, and yet no one else seems to be able to, to notice it, to see it. Did, did you see that in the text? Right, Like, if the star is that bright and obvious that you can follow it from a distant land, I would think you shouldn't have to be an astrologer or have a telescope to be able to follow it, Right? So what is the connection between looking to the holy darkness of the night sky for guidance and perhaps looking to those places shrouded in darkness within ourselves as the very place where we discover light and direction? Could it be that this this star that they followed was not some magical cartoonish thing, but a fire whose intensity burned within them and yet was beyond them? Whatever their fears, their longings, their hopes, I have to imagine that what they discovered upon their arrival, a poor and weary couple, a a king, asleep in an animal's feeding trough, I have to imagine that that was not what they set out expecting to find. And yet I'm amazed that they don't dismiss it, right? They didn't turn to each other and say, wait, is this a joke? That's it? That this, is what we, this is what we set out for? They didn't turn to each other and say that. They, they seemingly somehow, I don't know how, they, they somehow let go of all their preconceptions in that moment, the things they thought that they wanted the things they thought they needed or hoped for, and they wholeheartedly embrace what God has waiting for them. Surprised that it is. So attuned were they to the voice that speaks to us from beyond and yet within, that, that when they prepared to return home, the fire that burned deep within them said, you need to take another route. You need to go home by another way step into another future whose pathway you don't know and once again they followed and as I sat with the magi this weekend these wonderings I realized that really I'm also wondering these things for myself about how this is always the invitation that lay before us to to set out into an unknown future that will be both beautiful and terrifying. Where there is both threat and promise, where there is violence and beauty, injustice and joy. Both hardship and glory await us. That they were so attuned. And we are invited to be so attuned to the voice that calls to us from both within and yet beyond. A voice that names our greatest desires and our deepest needs. Beyond the, the happiness programs that our world tries to sell us. Right? That we are invited to be so attuned to this voice burning deep within us like a north star. That we are able to follow it through all that awaits us. And so as we set out into a new year, with all the hopes and possibilities that early January holds for us, may we pause to take stock of the road that has brought us here consider the joys and the heartache. Those times you spoke or acted in in ways that created more life and connection, and those times when your words or actions or inaction led to hurt or destruction or disconnection, even if unintentionally. Rather than a happiness program, a seven steps to your best you kind of program. So often our world tries to sell us these programs that it says will make us happy if we can just change our outer behaviors, change something on the outside about us. And and I'm sure that most, if not all of us, have, have tried at least one of these programs in our lives and inevitably failed. Seven days later, 12 days later... 37 days later. And so as we set into this new year, rather than white knuckling it and thinking that somehow it's going to work this time, what might it instead look like for us to return home, to return to ourselves, return to God by another way? To take a different path as we move into a new future. We might ask ourselves the same questions as a church as we move into a new future. Rather than resolutions that focus merely on controlling those outer behaviors without doing any deeper change at the root of of who we are, what might it look like to set those intentions to be true to ourselves ourselves? to listen for that voice of God that calls to us from within and beyond? What might it look like for us to follow that star even when people around us try to drag us back down that old, well-worn path as Herod does? What is required of us as a church to let the Spirit of God lead us home, to lead us forward, by a different road than the one that has brought us to where we are. Arise, friends, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Amen.